faster than expected. Abrupt climate change and the consequences for us and other living beings on our Earth. No one should be alone in the greatest challenge of our time. Thanks to Laura Upshaw for African Drum Dance on YouTube. Here's your host, Wolfgang Werminghausen. Welcome everybody to our 19th episode of the Faster Than Expected podcast and a special edition Worldwide Connected, co-hosted by Kevin Hester from New Zealand. Hi, Kevin. Hi, Wolfgang. It's lovely to be online with you again, talking about what is effectively the unraveling of the biosphere. And we had like to have a special guest, Jürgen Hornschuh, uh, born in Germany and living in India, but uh, he seems to have uh, technical problems and we, we cannot connect with him. Maybe we can record uh, a part of this uh, another time. And, uh, yes, I certainly hope so, because Jürgen has some really great insights from the subcontinent, so I'd love to hear what he's got to say as well. Of course. And uh, I'm your host of the Faster Than Expected podcast, Wolfgang Werminghausen from Germany. This episode we want to dedicate to the animals and the burden inflicted on the other species by us homo sapiens in times of abrupt climate change or ongoing anthropogenic climate disruption there is no doubt we are in the sixth mass extinction event billions of animals are dying and suffering and 200 species of animals and plants are going extinct every day so this may be a grief session about the suffering around the world but i hope we'll find a way not to forget the gift and the beauty we receive because we can share living on this planet with all these creatures now uh, Kevin, uh, please tell us something about the wild animal population. I, I have often quoted the figure that you've just quoted where the United Nations have said that we lose between 150 and 200 species every day. And recently I, I did a, an interview with Professor Guy McPherson on, on Nature Bats Last on PRN.FM where we talked about that in the, in the latest paper from um, Paul Ehrlich, who wrote The Population Bomb. But I think one thing that we should consider when talking about that is that we've only identified something like 18% of all the world's species so far. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about losing 150 to 200, that's what we know. The situation is invariably worse than what we know. Yes, of course. Um, do you like to say something about the this uh, article in The Guardian about the um, loss of the animals by 2020? It's incredible. There's been a, a, a flood of articles come out in the last few weeks about the collapse of the insect species on the planet where in the last quarter of a century, we've lost 80% of all of the flying insects on this planet. People have to understand how critically important these insects are 
to the chain, the, 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 the biological chain that takes place in our, in, a, in our ecology. Robert Hunsicker is one of the great climate um, journalists who writes for Counterpunch, and he's written an article on it on the 23rd of October. And the title he, called, he gave it was The Hidden Danger of Ecological Collapse. Now, Robert's a wonderful journalist, and he's covered the, the great unraveling in the sixth grade extinction brilliantly. But he has also tempers his terminology and the, and the vernacular that he uses. And it's the same way when you read a similar article that was been written recently by George Monbiot in The Guardian. He's the same. He's talking about these, these events taking place. But, of course, they always fall back on, oh, if we change our ways, if we, if we stop industrial agriculture and farming. But the reality is the dominant culture is not going to stop industrial farming. Where they, the big they, farmer. I'm sorry. The, the scientists are still uh, discussing what's the reason for for the de decline of flying insects and so on, and they say still we don't know. Might be agriculture or something like that, and we don't know know the in influences of climate change and and so on. Maybe they they well, have it's some, the perfect storm of so ideas. many different things at the same time. Mm. You know, you know, we have climate change and then we have industrial agriculture and then we have the pharmaceutical industry. We have a multitude of things that are all uh, causing this ecological collapse to take place. But there's something about the, the journalists who write about what's happening at the moment where they always feel like they have to give people hope. And I understand that. But I don't understand that when the situation is so dire that people aren't prepared to put their hand up and say, this is a catastrophic situation unfolding. It has its own momentum and we're not able to stop it. Why aren't we going to face the reality of the, of the dynamic instead of always sugarcoating it and looking for some kind of positive hope when there literally is none? I've read an article about the decline of the flying insects one year ago and there, there are some uh, scientists here in Germany who, who had uh, such uh, traps for and since uh, 30 years they, they trapped the, those flying insects and in uh, 80 1989, 1989, they, they, they caught in every trap about uh, 1.6 kilogram of insects. And now they are, they, they have only 300 grams or something like that in, in those traps. And that's really a decline of 80%. And th this discussion is, was about minimum one year ago. And uh, now there are lots of articles about that, and but but only in one article, uh, the Guardian of 
October uh, 2017, uh, they wrote, so far only the decline of honeybees populations has received widespread public attention in large me measure because of their vital role in pollinating food crops. The rest of the insects would, has been widely ignored. And I think that's right. Uh, um, we only... Uh, have attention for, for, for that if there, there's our interests are, our human interests are touched in some way. What, what I find happens is that people identify with the big charismatic species. They identify with the elephants and the whales and the polar bears. And I identify with those species as well. I sit here on my on my island in the Haraki Gulf in New Zealand, and sometimes I can watch dolphins and orca go by. I'm totally engrossed and, and passionate about those species. But we have to be passionate about the bugs and the birds and the bees and the bacteria. And I think this is a disconnect with a lot of people who have lost sight of how critically important those small members of the community are to the overall health of the community. When I was a child, one of the jobs that my mother used to give me was to wash the, the bumper and the headlights and the bonnet and the windscreen of her car. Sometimes I only washed the front of the car. I didn't have to wash the whole car because mm. the, the car was completely splattered with bugs. Now, there's two sides to the story. Is One, with modern cars, they are much more aerodynamic. And it's true that there is more air, air control over the car, so less bugs would be hitting the car from that reason. But that doesn't take away from the fact that we should still be seeing a considerable amount of bug splatter on our vehicles. And in some places, it's completely gone. And I put that down to the fact that we've lost so much of our natural habitat. Yes. And then industrial farming is so dependent on herbicides and pesticides that we've lost a whole lot of these critical members of the biosphere. And since some of these insects and uh, we really don't like i don't like mosquitoes too and uh, the last summer there there have been very very few mosquitoes i don't know why but uh, i i see the effect of this de decline really and and Other species are ticks. When I'm going out with a dog, I don't like collecting these ticks and uh, um, I don't like the diseases they, they can. I've had malaria five times. Hmm. I, I had it four times in Africa and one of those times it very, very nearly killed me. I had a temperature of 41.4 and the doctor in the hospital in Nakata Bay and that I was that that healthy i was the sickest person they ever walk out of his hospital so i have that issue with mosquitoes as well but because of, of my study and my observation of the collapse of the biosphere i've got to the point now where i hate killing anything hmm. i have cobwebs on my house that some people would struggle with and think i wasn't doing my cleaning but 
I really don't like using pesticides on my property. I don't like attacking the remnants of the biosphere that are still hanging on. It's a very interesting dichotomy to be confronted with. No, normally we don't have music in this podcast, but here is an exception. We want to dedicate a short to tune to all the animals. Let's listen to a music piece titled The Song of the Blue Dolphin. Thank you to Andy Blackwood. It's kind of a meditative uh, music and we may also th think of the animals we don't like at the first view, like mosquitoes, jellyfish or ticks for some minutes. Just listen to this song now.
back again. <laughs> I have an I have an article that I would like to discuss about yes. the shortage of food for birds in the Galapagos Islands. Okay. Okay, fine. It's been published recently on a website called The Revelator, and the title is Climate Change is Causing a Catastrophic Shortage of Food for Birds in the Galapagos Islands. Mm -hmm. One of the most famous bird species in the Galapagos Islands faces a potentially catastrophic shortage of nutritious food, and climate change may be to blame. News of this nutritional deficiency, which is affecting Nazca boobies, the iconic bird species Charles Darwin studied before writing his groundbreaking work on the origin of species, comes from a new published, newly published article in PLOS One. The study makes a rare connection between ocean warming mm. and species population in the tropics. All the data suggests that they are struggling to find food said Emily Tompkins, a PhD student at Wake Forest University and lead author of the study. Not only are they getting low-quality prey, but we're also seeing they're coming back with fewer fish, or more often than not, no fish at all. We'll post the link to this this article in the, in the show notes, yeah. but I think it's important that this is such an, an important species that Charles Darwin studied and thought it was very important. And now we have proof that these species are in danger because of the marine food web collapsing. Yes. This is happening all around the world. If the, the more we dig, the more we find. It's extraordinary how bad the situation is. Yes, I, I think of the food web in the Arctic. Uh, this, the krill is, uh, population is going down very very fast and the, the whales who they they eat these uh, krills the food web is breaking down really I'm very unpopular in the health shops in Auckland where I live where I've approached them all and asked them to not sell krill oil mm -hmm. and the problem with taking krill is that As you just said, is the basis. It's one of the very basic building blocks of the marine food chain. With modern technology, we can vacuum up that krill, and it can be consumed by the seven and a half million billion people, or I should really say the the one hundred million human people who can afford it, because the vast majority of people can't afford it. But when you have a hundred million people who can afford to eat the bottom of the food chain, you have the ability to completely disrupt it. And that's that's completely separate from the acidification that's taking place, from the pollution that's taking place. It is just one species vacuuming out one of the keystone species out of the marine food chain. It's insanity writ large. Yes, one example, one more example, how we, the humans view it with our human view, <laughs> of course. And uh, I think one of the reasons we, most people don't, don't see this, this um, 
catastrophe, we, we should call it catastrophe or Armageddon, uh, is one reason is that we separate uh, everything and uh, take everything in, in part what comes to our mind. So we separate ourselves from nature and from animals. Um, although we are part of this group, let's uh, collect some of these separations. Um, I just said humans and other animals or useful and not useful or inside outside our body the, the lots of microbes are in our body and uh, we don't have this in mind <laughs> i think that is um, a, a product of urbanization mm. and that so so many people now are disconnected from the natural world mm. i grew up beside the ocean and i've spent a long a large part of my time either on the ocean, sailing, or underneath the ocean, diving. And it was what's taken me down this rabbit hole is my experience with sailing around the world on, on small yachts and watching the changes take place in front of me. Mm -hmm. So I think I'm sensitized to it more because of the fact that I've had that experience and I live on a small island in the middle of the South Pacific. I do understand how the urban population is disconnected and I do see why so few people can see the Armageddon unfolding around us because they're either disinterested, busy trying to survive or they're urbanized to such a degree as they don't think much about where their food is coming from except which particular supermarket. Yes, I, I think this separation from the natural world is one reason that we don't have in mind how animals suffer these days and are dying and go extinct. The first step may, may be to recognize the situation, how we do it here in this podcast. And uh, the, the next step may be uh, to practice an attitude of respect and humility. And uh, as Buddhists do it, and but everybody else can do it to to concentrate of on loving kindness, even to to the animals. I think what's really important, and uh, I I think you you do it every day, uh, is to to recognize the beauty uh, animals uh, bring in our world. I had a very cute experience this morning. Mm -hmm. I was sitting here in my, in my lounge and a mother duck, paradise duck, went by with her babies. And the babies were, the ducklings were probably three or four days old. And I went out and I videoed them and I posted it on Facebook. And it's hilarious. If I post anything about the unraveling of the biosphere and how critically bad our situation is, no one pays any attention. Well, not no one, but few people pay much attention. I posted this little video of my ducklings, my duck and her ducklings, walking around the house today. And within 11 hours, there were 580 viewings of it. It's extraordinary how people can relate to the good vibe mm. and, and the positive affirmation, 
But whenever it's something that's negative or catastrophic, people switch off. It's something to do with the, the, the fight and flight response of humans. I think people look at the catastrophic situation and simply can't deal with it. And they just move on and they allow themselves to be distracted in whatever way spins their crank. Yes. So it's a quite an interesting dichotomy between collapse and uh, enjoying what we've got now. I, I agree. Most people won't have both sides uh, in their mind at once. Another example of my daily life is uh, our dog. We are living with a dog and I'm going out with a dog and I love this dog. And uh, at the same time, I, I know it's uh, th this dog is part of our human civilization. We have uh, five million dogs in Germany and it's an industry. And I love the dog at the same time. <laughs> Uh, my experience, I've had lots of dogs, and before we started recording, we had a chat about my my old dog, my Rottweiler, Vanda, and how we used to swim together, and she was always a better swimmer than me, and she could swim a lot further. But one of the things I think about dogs is they're the most honest friend that you can have. Mm. They never bullshit you. They always tell you what they think. They're really honorable friends. I know um, Buddhist monks of uh, Tibet, Tibetan monks, for example, really like to have dogs in, in their monasteries. And I think it's because they live in the here and now. The monks are going to train this to, to be in the here and now very hard and the dogs uh, have it and do it. <laughs> Now I think we, we say goodbye and uh, I thank you very much and I try to to get Jung into this conversation. Maybe it works. I really, really hope that we can include Jürgen because he's got some very, very interesting observations from the subcontinent and it would be a really good addendum to our discussion. Yes, It's a I, pleasure to chat with you again, Wolfgang. I, and special Thanks to you for joining in. Goodbye. Stay safe. Goodbye. Have a wonderful extension, my friend. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I had a talk with Jürgen Hornschuh in the meantime, but I have decided not to insert it here. He has so much to say about living with animals that it is worth an extra episode. Please refer to the show notes of this episode. You'll find it here. xwer.de slash fte19. xwer.de slash fte19. Thank you very much for listening. Goodbye. Faster than expected. Thanks to Laura Upshaw for African Drum Dance on YouTube. If you like my podcast, please write a comment and give me a like on SoundCloud. You'll find a link and more information on my website xwer.de slash podcast. Take care.